A little abbreviated sermon here today. Can I do that? Oh, you guys are doubters. I can see that. (laughs) I tell you. Well, I will do it. I'll tell you. I've had a very interesting week. My granddaughter has been staying with us. We had it all figured out. I was going to take one day. Patty's going to take the next day. We had it all worked out. And I received a phone call on Wednesday, and my sister-in-law passed away, and so my wife flew to Toronto, and so thank God I have an 18-year-old daughter at home because she's been helping me with my three-year-old granddaughter. But last night was a very short night because I was up at two in the morning with my granddaughter. So I now have a deeper appreciation for all the single moms, especially in our church family because it's a lot of work taking care of one of these little people. They're a delight, they're a joy, but it is a lot of work. Do you know, I really love how God changes people's lives. Isn't it exciting? You know, I was reading a number of years ago about a noted Christian educator, and he shares the story of his life. And he said, you know, with the kind of start I had in life, I'm sure I could have soon died and gone to hell, and nobody would have particularly cared. I was born into a broken home, my parents having separated before I was born. The only time I ever saw them together was 18 years later when I was called to testify in a divorce court. As a boy, I lived in a neighborhood in North Philadelphia, and it was a very rough neighborhood because many people said an evangelical church could never be planted there, but you know how many know God can do what others say he cannot do? That's the nature of who he is. And uh, God has a great sense of humor, and so he led a small group of Christians to band together and buy a little house there and start a church. One man in the church, his name was Walt, had only a sixth grade education. He came to the Sunday school superintendent of their little church, and he said, hey, you know what? I want to start a Sunday school class. Well, that's great, Walt, but we don't have an opening for you. But he kept insisting, I want to start a Sunday school class. So he said, good, go out and get a class, and anybody you find is yours to teach. So that's when Walt came into my community. The first time we met, I was playing marbles out on the concrete. Sonny said, how would you like to go to Sunday school? I wasn't interested. Anything that had school in it had to be bad news. So we said, then, how about a game of marbles? That was different. So we shot marbles and had a great time, even though he kept beating me. By then, I would have followed him anywhere. Well, Walt picked up a total of 13 boys in that community for a Sunday school class, of whom nine were from a broken home. Eleven of the 13 today are now in full-time vocational Christian work. Actually, I can't tell you much of what Walt said to us because I I, I can tell you a lot about him because for Christ's sake, he loved us more than he did, than even my parents did. He used to take us hiking, and I'll never forget those times. I'm sure we had made his bad heart worse but he, because he was running all over the woods with us kids. And the only reason he did that was because he cared about us. He was not the most fascinating person in the world, but he was certainly authentic and real. I knew it, and so did everyone else in that class. So you see, my interest in teaching is much more than professional. It's also intensely personal. In fact, it's a passion because the only reason I have a ministry today is that God brought this man called Walt into my life. That's how Howard Hendricks, one of the great educators of our past century, 
who taught at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary for a long time, developed his passion for teaching. A person with a passion will have a great impact on the lives of many other people. You know, it's interesting how a, a man like Walt, who had a very limited education, could have such an amazing impact on a person who later becomes an amazing educator. I think too often we measure our lives by the wrong standards. We measure the worth, the successes, and the failures by what others around us are doing or they are not doing. And so Jesus, in our story this morning, comes to the temple one day and he sees a widow putting in a contribution into the temple fund. And nobody notices her or seems to care. I mean, think about how busy the temple area really is. I mean, there's all these people coming to the temple day in and day out. And we, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 21. And what she gave that day, it says, was really a very insignificant amount. I mean, there were all kinds of large contributors that day. And, and, and what she gave that day probably wouldn't have a great impact it seemed in the moment, as she walked away in a sense of obscurity. But in the larger scheme of things, in the eyes of an all-powerful, all-knowing God, what she contributed that day, Jesus said, surpassed all the other gifts. And she was noticed by one. Jesus saw the gift that she gave that day, and he, and he brought it to the attention of his disciples, and that's why you and I have the story in the Bible. Let's take a look at Luke 21. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Actually, they're called lepta. They're two little Jewish coins, and they have very little value. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Now, notice Jesus' sense of value. Notice how he's evaluating what this woman did. It says, I tell you the truth, she's put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth or out of their, you know, they, they, did, they, they could actually live without what they were giving. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, how many know it's a lot different when you're giving everything? She didn't just give what she had. She gave what she didn't. In a sense, she was giving everything she had. And when Jesus saw that, he said, you know what? Because of what she did, she's given more than all the rest of them. Now, this is actually an eternal commendation for what she did. And it's not so much in terms of the amount, but rather in terms of the attitude and the cost involved. Now, I'm going to tell you why this story really speaks to me. When I was a young person, brand new Christian, I was trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I'm in my early 20s. I'm kind of praying about my vocational call in life. And I had spent days fasting and praying, and uh, I had in my mind to do a certain thing. I had a whole different game plan. And as I was praying one morning and asking God what to do, 
this story came up on the screen, you know, in my devotional time. As I began to read the story, the Holy Spirit began to speak into my life and said, listen, I'm not so interested in what you can do in the, in, the, in the sense of, you know, you can go out and make this money and support the work of God. What I felt the Spirit of God saying is, look, I'm not interested in your contribution. What I want from you is everything. I want you to give me yourself. I want you to, to, to give up any idea what you can do. I want you to just do what I'm going to ask you to do. And so... You know, when I get to heaven, I can, I can honestly say, when I get to heaven, I have to meet this little widow because she literally changed the course of my life. I would not be a pastor today if it wasn't for her and what she did that day. See, when you and I, what we don't seem to recognize is it can be a very small act on our part, but people can be deeply impacted when we give, when people see that what we're giving isn't just you know, a part of us, but that we're actually giving all of us. And that's what changes other people's lives. So God used her example to demonstrate to me that he was more concerned about the essence of my contribution to him than about the quality of it or the quantity of it. You know, the standard by which Jesus evaluates our lives is actually a lot different than how most people evaluate our lives. And you know, that can be both encouraging and it can also be very challenging all at the same time, can it be? Because really, who's really assessing your life and my life? We say, well, there's always people looking at us. Well, that's true. But you know who's always assessing me? Is God himself. He's looking at the condition of my soul. He's looking at the condition of your soul. He's always doing that. And he evaluates our response to him. And I'm gonna just say this, that the one thing that really impacts people is actually the degree of our passion. And that's why I entitled this message of passion to serve, because, you know, one of the great tragedies is that as Christians, we can actually become quite indifferent and apathetic. Isn't that true? And actually, this culture breeds that. It's actually fostering that in our lives. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of what the real important element of life is all about. You know, the older you get, the more you realize something. It's, it's, it's not about the things we're acquiring. That, that's, that, that could be gone tomorrow. That's not a big thing. What's really important is the people around us. It's people. Some of you go, yeah, I've already figured that out, Pastor. Well, that's great. So what are you doing about it? Are we giving God our best or are we satisfied with giving him what's left over? Now, I'm not talking about how busy we become. It's not about activity, but a life with the right perspective and attitude. Attitudes that motivate and sustain us in our service for him or to him. And it reveals itself as we serve other people. You know... The reason why you can keep serving others, here it comes, is when you begin to think, I'm not doing it primarily for them. You see, you have to get the right focal point. If you are serving Christ, then you can keep serving people. But if you're not serving Christ, you're going to give up because people are going to be disappointing at times. 
They're going to let you down. You can go through all kinds of experiences. You know, I've, I've been a pastor for so long I can say that. What keeps people going? How can we not get weary in well-doing? We have to have our eyes on Jesus Christ. It has to be about him. We must have a passion for him. And it's amazing when a person has a passion, what can begin to happen through that person's life? You can't stop a person of passion. They just keep doing what needs to be done. They're, they're, they're always abounding. They're always immovable in a sense. They're always moving forward. It's, it's a passion that's moving us, and it moves people from mediocrity, I think, to spiritual greatness before Almighty God. You know, too often in our bigger is better world, we tend to feel somewhat insignificant with our contribution in the kingdom of God. That's where the story here in Dr. Luke's gospel comes in. It may be in this widow's mind that she may have felt like what she was doing was very insignificant. The people around her gave her no reason to think that what she contributed that day was important at all. For all intents and purposes, her life may have gone unnoticed. Yet Jesus saw her action. Jesus saw her heart. That's what should encourage us. Christ is looking at us. You know, remember uh, Peter's reaction the first time Jesus brought up the fact that he was going to build his kingdom via the cross? Remember that? I mean, Peter and the disciples, they really thought that Jesus was coming to overthrow the Romans and set up a new political system. And they were all excited and they all, you know, were kind of vying for positions of power and they were looking for which portfolio they would have in the new kingdom. And Jesus kind of shatters all of that in Matthew, you know, where he says, uh, chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. How many know this was not quite on their agenda? How many know that didn't kind of fit into what they thought was about to happen? And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we're kind of stunned. You know, we have, an, we have a thinking, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like we have the Hollywood version of life and we, you know, it's kind of the fairy tale and we'll live happily ever after. Now, I think there is an element of truth to fairy tales, by the way. I think that ultimately we can say that when we're in eternity, we can honestly say that we're gonna live happily ever after. So there's a sense of reality in that. But in this planet, at this moment of time, it may not work out quite the way we want it to. And how many here have actually been disappointed sometimes about how things have worked out or haven't worked out? Haven't you ever had that experience? You're going, wow, this is really a bummer. This is a, a little bit let down. This is a little disappointing. And as a matter of fact, it's amazing sometimes that God would even allow us to experience negative experiences in life and that God wouldn't shelter us from every challenging situation. You know, we almost get upset about it. We almost feel like God is unjust with us. And can I say that he probably is? Because think about it, you and I do not deserve his grace, his love, and his mercy. That's pretty unjust of him, that he suffered so that you and I could benefit. But you know, we have a hard time and we have to suffer. And yet when you and I suffer for the sake of another person, 
That's an amazing thing. When you think about it, at that moment, you were becoming precisely like the Lord Jesus Christ. You were behaving just exactly like him. Notice what Peter says. Peter took Jesus aside. At least he was polite about it. You know, he didn't try to embarrass him. He just kind of pulled him aside. Hey, Jesus, can we have a little talk here? You know? And he began to rebuke him. You know, he thought he was being nice to Jesus. He was saying, Lord, may this never happen that you're describing this. May this not happen to you. May you not be executed. May, may, may this never occur to you. May these negative things not happen to you. And how many know that if Jesus saved himself, he could not save us? And so what did Jesus say to Peter? And he turned to Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. What a bummer of an experience for Peter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how would you like to have Jesus say that to you? Uh, I, I, I did, you know, here Peter thought he was being nice and Jesus was rebuking him. And it's not because, you know, as some people, I've said this before, you know, Peter's not demon possessed at this moment. What Jesus is doing is saying, what you are saying does not originate from my father. That's not the plan, Peter. The plan is this, and Satan is trying to nullify that plan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Isn't it so true in our life? We often have the things of men in our mind rather than the things of God. It's important to get it right. So often we see things strictly from the human level. We have no idea how significant the investment of our lives are having in the people that are reach, we're reaching out to. You know, I love the story. Howard Hendricks tells it. I told him a, a little bit of introduction about his testimony, but he said a number of years ago, this is back in the day when they had, you know, big Sunday school conventions, and, you know, they were in Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, Moody Memorial. And he tells the story that he was one of the speakers there, and during a lunch break, three of the speakers were, who were, had been teaching there walked across the street at a little hamburger shop, and the place was packed, and soon a table opened up for them. And then we saw, it was a table of four, and there were three gentlemen, and they saw this elderly lady in the, whom they knew must have been attending the convention because the bag she was carrying, you know, had something logo on it, and so they asked her to join them. And, she, and they learned that she was 83 years old. And she had come from a little town in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And in a church with a Sunday school of 65 people, she was the junior high teacher and she had 13 kids. She had traveled by Greyhound bus all the way to Chicago. So this is like, you know, the night before the convention. So she could be there. And, and so they said to her, well, why, why did you... Go through all this trouble, you know. You've got this great class, you know. I mean, if you've got 13 out of 65, you're probably doing something right. And, you know, she'd been teaching for years, and here she spends the night on the Greyhound, and she goes to this convention, and she says to them, to learn something that will make me a better teacher. Wow. He said, I, I thought at the time most people who had a class of that size would be, you know, breaking their arm to pat their back. Who's me? Going to this convention, man, I could be teaching it. But you know, not this lady. She had a heart desire to keep developing. And then Howard Hendricks tracked her life afterward. You know, had found out about who she was and 
who some of the people were that she had taught. And he said this, 84 boys who had sat under her teaching were now young men in full-time vocational ministry. In other words, she had inspired these young men to get into God's word and that God spoke to their hearts and now they had become Christian leaders. And he said 22 were graduates of the seminary where Howard Hendricks had been teaching. And he said, if you would have asked me the secret to this woman's impact, I would have given you a totally different answer than I would have years before. Back then I would have credited her her methodology, but now I believe it was because of her passion to communicate God's word. That's why she was making a difference. Do you know, all of us in this room, we have gifts. Every person in this room, you're a gifted person by God. Do you realize that? There's not one of us in this room that could say, I have nothing to offer. I'm not gifted. No, we're all gifted in this room. What we have to sit down and decide is, how are we using our gift? Do we have a passion? Are we developing this gift? Are we using it for the glory and honor of God? Or are we just sitting there doing nothing with it? Do you know passion has a way of having an incredible ripple effect? And I'm going to close with the story. I told you I was going to be brief this morning. Some of you may know the story, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a very shy and retiring person who was teaching Sunday school, and he had a number of young men in his class. And Edward Kimball was really deeply concerned because he didn't know the true soul condition of every young man he was teaching in this class. And so he made a decision to go visit each one individually so he could ask them where they were in their soul, without embarrassing them before the class. And so he took time out one Saturday and he walked over to a shoe store because he knew this is where Dwight Moody was working. And he went to the shoe store and he was kind of thinking about what to say and he was apprehensive and he was nervous, you know, because he, you know, he's, yeah, he was a Sunday school teacher, but, you know, he was a shy and retiring kind of person. And he was really thankful when he found out that, you know, Dwight was in the back stacking shoes and so he, you know, he asked to talk to him, and he went back there with him, and he started chatting, and he had the privilege of leading Dwight Moody to Jesus Christ. Dwight Moody moved from Boston to Chicago, and eventually started something called the YMCA. Ever heard of it? YMCA? Dwight Moody. By the way, Dwight L. Moody never went to Bible college, but Dwight L. Moody started the first Bible college. Really amazing. Dwight L. Moody became a very famous evangelist. As a matter of fact, while he was preaching in his evangelistic crusades, there was another young man by the name of Mordecai Ham who gave his life to Christ during one of those crusades, which was really great. And so he went out and began to preach. And he was down in North Carolina, this guy named Mordecai Ham, who had come to Christ through Dwight Moody, who had come to Christ through Edward Kimball. And while Mordecai Ham was preaching in North Carolina, a young man by the name of Billy Graham came to that service. Anybody heard of Billy Graham? That was the day Billy Graham gave his heart to Christ. And you know, Billy Graham, if you actually go to Wheaton, Illinois today, there's a museum, and it tells you all about Billy Graham's ministry and life. It's very fascinating. Do you know Billy Graham has preached to more people in the world than any other human being? It's really an amazing story. Now, I've got to ask the question, what would have happened if Edward Kimball 
hadn't have gone to talk to Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody hadn't responded and began his ministry, and he hadn't been faithful to preach the gospel, so a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham gave his life to Christ. And he was faithful and obedient to God, and he went out preaching. And Billy Graham was one of the recipients. Is that an amazing story? Most people don't know who Edward Kimball is. But when we get to heaven, there's going to be millions of people thanking God that one person did something very insignificant on a Saturday, his only day, you know, his day, you know, basically his day off, and went out and shared the faith, his faith, with a young man that he had no idea what was going to happen as a result of that moment. Let's stand. You know, after the service, I want to just encourage you, if you want to chat with Ray, I'm sure he's, gonna, he's got all kinds of stories. I always love just being with him. And, you know, just chatting about, you know, some of the things that God is doing in other parts of the world. So take advantage of that, folks. And let's pray today. How many here, you know what, every head bowed. Let me just ask the question, you know, say, Pastor, I feel God speaking to me this morning. We've prayed this, that God would speak to you. You know, the thing that has struck me recently is that in the beginning of the Bible, you read, and God spoke to Adam, and God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Moses, and he spoke to Daniel. And everywhere I read in the Bible, and God spoke, and they heard his voice. You know, it's not enough to know something True knowledge is only, is really in biblical understanding, has to be played out in obedience. God is speaking today. We prayed. We said, Lord, speak. Speak into the individual human heart. What is God saying to you today? Where's your passion? How are you spending your life? Are you walking in obedience to Christ? Are you giving God everything you have, even though in your mind it may seem insignificant? Just remember, God uses the insignificant things of this world. He uses the weak things and the foolish things to confound the wise and the powerful. God may be asking you to go talk to your neighbor your co-worker, a family member. You have no idea where this conversation could go. You have no idea what God's doing in the other heart. You see, a lot of times we think it's all up to us. Can I just encourage us? Listen, God is the one who's doing the work. All we need to do is go. All we need to do is obey. And if we have the kind of heart that says, God, here am I. I give you everything I am. That's, the, that's what happened to me when I read this story. I said, okay, God, I'm not going to go in this other direction. I give you everything I am. I may never have a lot. And it doesn't really matter to me as long as I have you and I'm giving you everything I've got. God wants us to be that committed. And when we're that committed, then God can use us in an amazing way. How many here would say, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning. Just raise your hand. God is speaking to me right now about giving my best, 
about doing what he's asking me to do and just be fearless about it. Just do it. Just go out and do it. You have no idea what this is going to take you and this other individual. It's amazing what will happen. I'm going to pray with you today. You're just going to follow God's leading. So, Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, we see our brothers and sisters around the world who, for them, giving their life to you could mean their very lives. But when we think about it again, you gave us your very life. And Father, there's nothing greater than for us to give our lives to you. May it, it could be in the ending of our life. That's one way of giving it. But Lord, many times it's just the spending of our life day after day, week after week for you, Father. And we give you our best, not the leftovers of our lives, but Lord, we're here to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray today that you would so infuse passion into our lives, oh God, that nothing would hinder us and keep us from fulfilling your purpose and your will in our lives. And Lord, I pray today that you're going to move supernaturally and powerfully in and through our lives and people's lives are going to be reached and they're going to be blessed and they're going to be strengthened and they're going to be changed. They're going to be transformed by your power because we have said yes to you today, Lord. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave.